Someone asked me recently, what is the coolest part of my job as CEO at Clear Motor Marketing? I said, well, that's easy. The fact that every day I get to dig into our clients' businesses to learn not only what makes it tick, but what we can do as their partner to deliver the marketing that truly matters to their business. It's like being in a living, breathing case study every day. And for that, I am truly blessed. Hello, Collisions YYC listeners. This was an overwhelming sense of pride that I wanted to share with you that the marketing agency that I had the pleasure of co-founding and leading is turning 15 years old. Yes, our motive marketing is 15. I wanted to shout out a huge thank you to all of our clients, past and present, as well as our vendors and all of the incredible team members we've worked with over the years to make this milestone possible. Check us out at clearmotive.ca to learn more about what we can do that matters to you. Hello and a warm welcome to Collisions YYC Sustainable Map, a show where we have real conversations with people who are living at the intersection of sustainability and business. And with that, a big, bold intro. I'm going to welcome my guest this morning, Mr. Dan Balaban. How are you doing, Dan? Doing well, Tyler. Thanks for having Thanks. me this morning. Uh, ben, thanks for coming on. Looking forward to chatting. You are the C- you are the um, executive. Sorry, let, me, let me get let me get this right. You are the executive chair and CEO at Greengate. So let's get right out of the gate. I don't like to, I, I don't like to, uh, to leave the, the audience guessing. Let's jump in the pitch elevator. What is Greengate all about? What do you guys do? And I'll close it a little bit. What gets you out of bed in the morning? <laughs> so Greengate, we're a developer of uh, large renewable energy projects. Uh, mostly uh, have uh, been doing it in Alberta. And if I had to describe what a renewable energy developer is, is we take uh, an idea for a renewable energy project. And we do the many years of work uh, to turn that idea into an operating wind project, solar project. Uh, we've been fortunate to have been uh, pretty successful over the last 16 years that we've been doing this. Um, we've uh, developed uh, over $2 billion of uh, renewable energy projects uh, in Alberta. Uh, that includes uh, the largest wind farm in the country uh, at the time. And uh, we uh, developed uh, the largest solar energy project uh, in the country uh, as well. So, uh, you know, really proud of the role that we've had uh, in the energy transition uh, in Alberta, uh, the traditional heart of oil country. Amazing. So to get a little bit of largest win, you have a, you have a very powerful resume, my friend, which, I, which is part of why I was excited to chat with you, best of what you guys have been involved <laughs> with. Just so I always understand and put my business hat on a little bit. So. Does it, how does it work? Are you brought in as a consultant that helps to steward this process? Are you helping with regulatory? Are you helping look at the financial feasibility? Is that your role or do you have stake? Do you have ownership in some of these projects? Just really understanding like how Greengate actually operates as a business. Yeah, we're, um, we're the initial owners of, uh, of all the projects that we do. Okay. So um, we invest uh, our own capital. So, you know, it's our their own original ideas. We invest our, our own capital to turn those ideas uh, into investable opportunities uh, for uh, some of the largest institutional investors in the world. And then, um, you know, once the project's uh, ready to be constructed and requires you know, the hundreds of millions of dollars of capital to build, you know, we'll typically bring on a, you know, an institutional partner okay. uh, or, you know, ultimately sometimes sell the project to a large uh, utility. You guys have been in this game for a while. Um, I joke before it's cool, before it was cool to be in this game. What was, what, what was your first project? And just, you know, we'll get into the journey and how things have evolved from a, just the world we live in. But really thinking about your coming to the table with what was probably perceived as a harebrained scheme from time to time back in the day when you were like, okay, we're going to fund this. We believe in it. We're driving it forward. Just maybe give, give the audience a little bit of a context. As you hear about it now, it feels like table stakes. We talk about solar and wind and, and other alternative energy sources. 
that probably wasn't the same conversation you were having 15 years ago. Definitely uh, an issue that's getting a lot more uh, attention today than it was 16 years ago. But, uh, you know, surprisingly, Alberta has, uh, you know, was one of the early leaders uh, in renewable energy in, in North America. Uh, you know, when we started the company in 2007, uh, you know, there already was a, um, a number of uh, wind projects uh, operating in the province. I always get asked about uh, Pincher Creek area. As we've all uh, driven you know, through the, there and seen the windmills so yeah. many times. Yeah, and that, you know, that's some, those are some of the earliest wind farms, uh, commercial scale wind farms built in, uh, in Canada for mm. sure and in, in North America. But, um, you know, what we did differently is uh, we upped the, the ante in terms of scale. Okay. So, you know, there were a number of relatively small uh, wind projects that were being uh, done in Alberta. We looked around uh, the rest of the world and saw much larger projects that were starting to be planned at that time. Um, Alberta's got phenomenal um, wind and solar resources and thought there's no reason why uh, that can't be brought to Alberta. Uh, easier said than done. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but, uh, but, you know, the, the first project we did, uh, we developed, uh, was a project called Halkirk Wind. Uh, we're no longer the owners of that project. But um, uh, we were the developers. Uh, at the time, it was double the size of what was the current uh, largest uh, project in the province at the time. And then we followed that up uh, with what at the time was the largest wind project in the country, which was double that size, uh, a project called Blackstone Ridge. So it's, you know, we like doing the, you know, the big projects. I'm I'm, I'm uh, sensing that. (laughs) Yeah, narrative changing, changing projects. From a risk, from a business perspective, how quote unquote risky was that back in the day to be doing the, or was part of where the, we're doubling you know, you made it big enough that it would actually get people's attention. I'm just thinking about the risk profile of kind of raising the capital to do that. Of like, hey, we're doing this thing. It's doubled what any of the closest was been done before. But that's, you know, I'm assuming like from a marketing perspective, that also gets people's attention as well. <laughs> that we're, that yeah, we're not you know, messing I, around. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I call it, uh, you know, the law of big numbers. Yeah. Um, you know, most, most people, um, you know, intuitively think that you start small and, uh, and go, you know, incrementally grow bigger. But I'm of a different view. I think you start as big as you um, credibly can. Okay, I like that. Uh, it's know, credibly from, can. That's a that's yeah. a slippery slope right there. That word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, credibility's in the eye of the beholder, I guess. But <laughs> but uh, you know that's the approach that we've been uh, we've taken. Uh, you know, we were able to do it uh, credibly, and uh, you know, attract some of the best uh, partners uh, all over the industry and all over the world to. To be involved in uh, the projects that we've. I'm done. sensing a little go big or go home mindset with you, Dan. I'm just we're just getting to know each other, so I don't want to be I don't want to be too bold too soon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you always got to you know keep uh, humility about you, and, uh, you know, and everything that you do in your your life includes your business career. But uh, yeah, I, I like uh, I like doing the big projects. I know, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate there is a strategy, like make it big enough, uh, the lot big like the phenomenon that comes with showing big numbers and getting people's attention. Talk to me a little bit about just the evolution. I preach so many guests I talk to on the show around sustainable matters. They've been in it for shorter periods of time. You've been in it for a, like for, for a, 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 a substantial period of time. This was before we were throwing around the net zero kind of conversation in the media the way we are now. Was this a conversation when you looked at wind and you look at solar of like, we need to be more green, simply put, I'm overusing the word green, or was this also a combination of like, we need energy abundance. We've got a rich, like you said, solar and wind environment. Why aren't we taking advantage of these things? I'm just what I'm what I'm pulling at here is just how the storylines evolved to become a marketing and PR push that's been happening the last. I'm just gonna pick five years for it, versus 
hey, this is an abundant source of energy. Why aren't we capitalizing on it? So talk to me a little bit how you've seen that journey evolve. Well, uh, you know, I grew up here in Calgary, uh, you know, the, uh, the uh, capital of the uh, Canadian oil and gas uh, industry. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> uh, you know, my, uh, my late father was, uh, was in the oil and gas industry, an oil and gas entrepreneur. So, I, you know, I kind of grew up in the industry, okay. uh, you know, following him around. Uh, so I've been interested in energy for a really long time. But, uh, you know, growing up in, uh, in Calgary, you and I were talking about, a bit about this before we got on, that, you know, we've got, got a tremendous uh, natural uh, landscape right in our backyard. And it's really difficult not to grow a love of nature, uh, you know, just living here. So interest in energy, love of nature. Fast forward to, uh, you know, my professional career. I uh, started uh, my career in uh, consulting management consulting, uh, advising companies on how uh, to use technology okay. to improve their businesses. I uh, left consulting to start my uh, first company. It was a software company called Roughneck. started that in my mid-20s. And uh, what Roughneck did is we helped oil and gas companies address a number of uh, operational issues, mm-hmm. including at the time, and this is going back to the early 2000s, greenhouse gas reporting. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, that gave me early insight into, um, you know, some of the looming environmental issues that I could see the oil and gas industry facing. Um, had a successful exit uh, from that software company uh, at the age of 30, going back a number of years ago. Yeah, yeah nice. But, well uh, done. <laughs> yeah, thank you. But, uh, you know, uh, coming out of that, I knew the next thing that I wanted to do was something that was going to be an exciting business opportunity, but something that was also going to leave a lasting environmental legacy oh, okay i appreciate that so part of I, you it, know I, it, I, it, it was important to you from a purpose and a, and a dna perspective you, you oh, i'm that. i'm i'm a i'm a a purpose-driven individual yeah. uh, i i believe that uh you know we can all accomp- accomplish amazing things in our lives when we can tap into uh, you know what our true purpose is i uh, and you know that's not just in business that can be in you know anything in, in art in, in science in academia i happen to chosen business is my i like that you quantify that so often it becomes business rhetoric but really it's a human it's a human design element that can apply to anything in your life and one doesn't get isn't better or worse than the other but having it can can accomplish many things the business community has really adopted over the last bunch of years absolutely um yeah and i you know i feel like i come at it uh you know genuinely so you know really uh, you know started greengate with uh with the idea of you know, making a big business uh, impact, but also, uh, you know, a positive uh, environmental impact. So for you, when you later, look- beyond our wildest dreams, I'd say. <laughs> That's, I love it. That's awesome. I love, I love a good, I'm a marketer. I love a good origin story at the, at, as well. So thinking back for you, when you put this together, also solar and wind, the lesser environmental impact, the more in balance with our, with, with, with our natural world. Um, that sound I'm hearing or I'm reading between the lines was a big driver for you as, as, as well. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, you know, renewable energy produces energy, uh, you know, produces electricity without uh, any emissions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I happen to believe that, um, you know, climate change is a, is a real issue, a pressing issue, uh, an issue that's becoming all that more urgent. And, uh, you know, we need more, uh, you know, zero emission solutions mm-hmm. like renewables to you know, prolifer- proliferate all over the world. Uh, I think in order for us to, you know, address the issue. At the same time, um, you know, oil and gas is still being used in the world, um, and uh, I think the 
you know, the, the, the framing has been too adversarial. I think it's been yeah. framed as oil and gas versus renewables, but I think it's an and. I think for the time being, we should be developing our oil and gas and our renewable energy resources here in Alberta. You know, we're lucky to be blessed with both. I appreciate your perspective of the inclusion versus the adversarial. And I think that, you know, how much of that, and now you and I are just kind of armchairing this, how much of that is just an outcome of the media model that we live in today. And this, you know, we've got a great polarization because it, you know, it, it gets eyeballs and it's in the old days it sold newspapers. Now I guess it sells clicks and it sells ad space and all that. But we tend to, we tend to look quicker at a fight than we do at a bunch of people getting along. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's really, uh, you know, that's a really disapp- uh, disappointing statement, but it, you know, it's true. I, you know, I agree with you. And, you know, I've also been in technology for a long time. Like I started my career in tech in the early nineties when the internet was still relatively in its, uh, its early days. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when social media started coming out, the hope was, you know, it's this great connector of people, you know, all over the world, right? Like, you know, you can instantly connect with somebody on the, on the other side of the world. How exciting is that, right? That's going to bring people together. Yeah. But, um, you know, as we've, as we've seen, it's, you know, the algorithm, algorithms have been set up in such a way to divide us. And uh, that's becoming worse and worse. Um, and I think... Uh, you know, it's important that moderate voices somehow get more airtime because I, th- you know, I believe the majority of people are are moderate on on most of these issues and are are rational. You look at some of the statistics around you know, humans tend to be more in the middle; they tend to be more not more gray than black and white. Until you turn on the media or till you know meet new and exciting people from around the world and yell and hate them and argue with them on on things that maybe you know because you're getting fed a certain degree of you know, things that you click on and that's, let's not turn this into a social media podcast because we could go yeah, down yeah. a rabbit hole there. Um, but, when, but we need more love in the world. Yeah, you, we do, okay. Yeah, I'll, leave, I'll take that. I'll take that. that. I'll take that. Dad. I'll take that. Yeah. More hugs. More, next time I see, yeah. I want to give you a big hug. Yeah, um, good. But thinking about how that now proliferates into 16 years ago, you started this business when, yeah, absolutely. There was opportunity and, and people were now all of a sudden it's become this, like, how fast can we get there and how quick can we run? You made a comment about, non-emissions-based energy development. Let's talk about it a little bit because you live in this space. So some of the concerns around, well, we look at wind and we look at solar and we go, wow, we're building these big wind farms which have a footprint. Tons of concrete is used. And there's always a, a, there's always a school that goes, well, yeah, but are you looking at this? Are you looking at rural Ontario where there's you know, solar farms that are being abandoned because it doesn't make economic sense to redo and, and basically upgrade them because now they're getting older? Talk to me about just the balance and I'm getting way down a rabbit hole here around this is not emissions based, but it isn't without impact. Is it really just about looking at it from a balanced perspective? Not, it is a hundred percent perfect. No, it has drawbacks, but let's look at what those are versus what those aren't. Thoughts, thoughts on that. Cause I'm sure you've been down this many down, down this version of it many times as you develop these products. Yeah. I, I, I mean, um, there is no source of energy that we have in the world that has no impact, hmm. right? Uh, human humans are going to have an impact uh, on our planet. Uh, you know, we're industrialized. We have tremendous, uh, you know, technology, and uh, we have tremendous you know, appetites uh, as well. <laughs> tremendous appetites. So <laughs> for, for uh, all the things, <laughs> for all for all these tremendous things. Um, so um, it's about trying to it's, it's about trying to minimize our impact, I believe, and trying to um, to set up our civilization so that it can be sustainable. Uh, ultimately, you know, the the you know climate change is not an issue for the planet. 
everybody talks about an issue for this. It's not an issue for the planet. It's an issue for humans. Yes. The planet uh, will survive. The planet's been here billions of years. It's, go, it's through gone through cycles, cycles before. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But, uh, you know, how can we ensure that human civilization is, uh, is sustainable ultimately um, here? But, um, you know, so, so recognizing that every uh, source of energy will have an impact. But, you know, the uh, new energy system that we're talking about, which is electrification and renewables, has a much lower uh, impact than the fossil fuel-based ener- energy system. You know, it's an order of magnitude okay. uh, less of an impact. You know, it's true. You need all those things, metal, concrete, all those things to build a renewable energy project, to build uh, electric cars. But you need all of those for traditional energy as well. And then the big difference is you're not consuming that uh, fossil fuels on a, those fossil fuels on an ongoing basis as you're producing the energy. That's the that's the big difference. Once you build it, the source of energy is free and abundant and natural. I really I really appreciate the the lesson, and I love it. I just I, I want to camp out for a second on what you said about let's remember. Climate change isn't a problem for the planet. It's a problem for us. <laughs> but it's like, oh, we're destroying the planet. Well, are we? Or is the planet going to go through its cycle and it'll spit us off and keep going is probably the belief when you think about it from a longer-term perspective. But I just appreciate how black and white you were with that, with that statement. Lessen the impact. Let's talk about electrification for a minute. It seems to be no holds barred as fast as we can. Our grid is, is being challenged. Prices, costs. Is the speed at which we're running towards electrification now is that is that becoming problematic or is this just no 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 nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come like where are we in the balance of kind of that journey right now from your perspective? Well, you know it's a, it's a it's a timely question uh, for you to ask. Is uh, you know I, I don't know if you've been following, but last week uh, the government of Alberta uh, announced a moratorium on uh, six seven. It's, they said it's six months, but it's actually seven months. Okay. Uh, a seven-month uh, moratorium on new renewable energy development. I did. Uh, no, I did hear that. And it kind of caught me, and I was like, I need to find out more about this because it seemed a little bit out of sync <laughs> with what I heard. With, with it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's, uh, it's a mistake. And it's, uh, it's a decision that they should reverse uh, as soon as possible. Um, you know, renewable energy is, is growing very quickly. Uh, and just like any fast-growing industry, uh, it's uh, it's experiencing growing pains uh, for sure. Our, you know, our oil and gas industry, you know, also you know at times has experienced growing pains. Um, you know, our tech industry is growing, but you know, all all fast-growing industries experience growing pains. But uh, imposing a moratorium in order to address it is just a you know an ex, you know a very extreme and unnecessary uh, move. Would you say a, a fear response, a response? Because again, if it's government has done something, they're trying to somehow abate constituents, maybe driving a different agenda. Because you know, landing it's the old joke in business. Like, well, we need to fix all these things, but we can't stop the plane. Like, we're, we got to fix it while we're flying. You don't usually get to park it for six months to work on it. And I, like you said, six months is going to pass, and will anything have changed except that now six months has passed? I don't know, or seven months. Is your point? Yeah. Well, I, I mean. Um... You know, there's there's uh, you know a number of uh, pieces to it, but I think uh, you know probably the the core piece is uh, renewables uh, at the moment is being caught in a battle between Ottawa and uh, and Alberta. Uh, you know, Ottawa is uh, is pushing uh, Canada and all the provinces mm-hmm. to go to net zero a net zero grid by 2035. Uh, admittedly, uh, that's a very ambitious target, and uh, admittedly, that's 
probably the hardest for of all the provinces that's probably the hardest for Alberta to achieve okay because Alberta at the moment has most of our energy that comes from uh, you know historically it was coal mm-hmm. now it's natural gas so how do you how do you go to net zero by 2035 that's a very you know challenging thing but um, you know on the other side you've got Alberta's response being well if you want us to go to net zero we're going to shut down our uh, renewable energy industry so it That's is a, sword, hardly, a bit, yeah. bit, bit of sword rattling from from the the classic uh, central Canada or, or east versus west kind of bullshit. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know I think that's you know that's really disappointing. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you know renewable energy in Alberta is a business. It's driving billions of dollars of uh, foreign investment, private sector investment uh, into the province, and uh, you know there's also a link with tech. You know some of the largest mm-hmm. tech companies. In the world are buying renewable energy in Alberta. I saw, that, I, saw that, I saw that on your website this morning when I was doing my, my, my pre my pre chat creep. <laughs> yeah, like you know we've we've developed projects you know where uh, you know um, we you know the power has been sold to Amazon, the power has been sold to Microsoft, and you know those those companies are following up you know uh, those sorts of commitments with you know investments in data centers uh, you know mm-hmm. here here in Alberta those sorts of companies. Yep. Uh, and um, you know, which, the two which are is all, which is, a, which is a really positive story for our province from a diversification perspective as well. <laughs> yeah, like you know, clean grid and uh, economic diversification go hand in hand. So um, mm. you know, I really hope the province uh, you know reconsiders this decision. And uh, really, uh, I'd prefer that our industry is not politicized. Let us do our thing. Let us continue. Well, to that's grow. a tough one these days, Jan. I think a lot of things. Yeah. There's not much that isn't. If it's if it's worth talking about, it someone's going to politicize it. Some politicize it. Some. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely uh, that's a, that's definitely a challenge, and uh, you know, you know, one of the things that makes Alberta such a great place to do business historically is uh, you know our respect for the free market, our free market, uh, mm-hmm. free market approach, our very know, entrepreneurial uh, mindset here. It's why I'm. Very, it's uh, why I came here and never left. I was like, I love the I love the philosophy and the attitude here. I'm staying. That was yeah, 20, and, that was twenty and, plus years ago at this point. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know, and that's one of the reasons why uh, you know up until this decision, uh, you know, Alberta was uh, the fastest growing uh, market in Canada for renewable energy on the back of our you know back of our free market principles. So um, let's hope hopefully we can go back to that. Have you seen already in your world uh, an immediate you know concern or kind of whiplash response to you know you talked about foreign investment coming in here? That's a huge driver and that's a huge opportunity. But if I'm an investor and I can look at the world as my opportunity and I see something like that, well, that's risky for me now. I'm like, oh, geez, I did, you know, if the government can do that, well, maybe I'm going to take my money somewhere else. Have you seen any of that impact yet? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely spooking people. You know, whenever uh, how uh, could it not? <laughs> whenever you know, whenever a government makes a dr- uh, drastic move, um, it's um, you know, it uh, spooks uh, spooks investors. Your point that impedes what is the natural economic flow of things working. Yeah, and uh, it's you know very strange look for Alberta because uh, you know, Alberta is known to be a, you know very pro business province and a very uh, very stable, attractive place to do business. So uh, yeah, again, hopefully this interesting the this could be reversed. Government government be- would want you to think that they're very pro business, which I would, I would have thought from their rhetoric that they are. If I'm going to boldly not to, we won't turn this into a political conversation, but like to, to the joke, it's hard not to when things like this are influencing your industry at this level. Yeah, absolutely. So, hmm. you know, that, that's the thing about being in a, you know, in the renewable energy industry that makes it uh, interesting, but also very challenging is uh, because it's, it's a politicized issue. You have to have 360 degree vision 
because threats can come from anywhere. <laughs> you know, you don't know, uh, yeah. you know who would have thought that uh, your own government would shut down uh, an industry because it's too successful. That uh, never thought that would happen in Alberta. <laughs> when you put so it that way, Dan, it, sound, it sounds ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. <laughs> Circling back a little bit, Amazon, Microsoft, companies like that looking to buy specifically power from renewable sources. Is this them meeting their own ESG reporting matrix? Is this them looking at the fact that they know that in the long term, these companies are these are companies that are planning 10, 15, 20 years out, that this is the only way to actually even be sustainable is to get access to a renewable cost at a reasonable rate from a trusted source. Just always wanting to understand the business driver of like, oh, we need to meet our ESG report for our shareholders. Or we know, because we're looking out 30 years into the future, we need to have access to these energy sources to even be viable as a business. What balance do you see for you know your own perspective on companies like that making those types of decisions now? Yeah, so so a lot of the um, you know the world's largest companies, uh, you know, and that uh, you know been led by the tech companies, but not just tech companies have committed to go to 100% renewable energy. It's uh, called the RE100, Renewable Energy 100. And uh, ultimately, it's to support these companies' goals of being net zero. They've, uh, they've put out uh, you know, various net zero uh, commitments, and uh, it's important to these companies' shareholders that they invest in companies that are, de- are you know, viewed as uh, you know, good uh, global citizens and also mm-hmm. uh, you know, sustainable businesses kind of like so, social license to operate as well. yeah so, so social license to operate as yeah. well there, there's a number of different uh yeah different uh pieces to it but ultimately it, it results in these net zero commitments mm-hmm. at the moment renewable energy is the lowest cost uh way of getting to net zero okay uh you know renewable energy on its own is not going to get you a hundred percent uh to net zero there's you know storage and you know different other solutions that need to be part of it okay but uh Starting off, renewable energy is is where they're going, and uh, that's driving uh, you know a ton of uh, interest uh, here in Canada, uh, particularly early in. Well, Alberta. we're heading here. We need the power, and this is a source that we can get at right now. That makes sense as at least a step one in that direction. <laughs> yeah, so you know, so they made these net zero commitments. Alberta is the only deregulated power generation market in Canada. Okay, yep. So it's the only place in Canada where a power generator can sell energy directly to a buyer. And that's why uh, these companies are flooding into Alberta. And it's, you know, it's, like I said, it's driving billions of dollars uh, of investment in this province in renewables. And then it's following on with billions of dollars of investment in the tech industry as well. I think, I think it's just about the best economic development story mm-hmm. in our province today. Well, I got to ask this because somebody tapped the brakes for a reason, perceived reason or, 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 or real. What's the risk? What's like, what, what's wrong with that? Because when you say it and I hear it and like business person goes, that makes a ton of sense. Like, I can't understand why we would pause this. What, if we were going to put ourselves on the other side of the, of the table for this discussion, what, what are some of the risks that we're taking if we didn't pause it in your mind? Yes. You know, so, you know, so any fast growing industry experiences issues. So, right. So, you know, so, uh, you know, I've, uh, you know, I believe that that this is is about politics, but if you read the government's uh, announcement uh, on it, um, you know, it cites a few things that they're going to be looking at, uh, you know, reclamation. So, you know, what happens at the end of life of these projects, um, you know, impact on uh, agricultural land, uh, impact on, you know, view scapes, uh, impact on affordability and reliability of our uh, electricity system. Those are all things uh, that are uh, worthy of uh, looking into further. 
also happen to point out that a lot of those things are relevant in all energy development. They're not unique to renewable no, my, energy. My wife's worked in oil and gas for 20 years. These are all topics I hear discussed in relevance to what they do, reclamation and the Oregon Well Program, and working with the Alberta Energy Regulator and all the things they have. My wife's in a, in a small little startup right now, and she's going through all of that. So I'm here, by default, I'm along, with the, I'm along for the journey. And all of those things are being addressed. <laughs> all the, yes, yeah, so, yeah, so, so all those things are... You know, all those things are being addressed by the renewable energy industry today. Yeah, uh, could they be improved? Sure. Um, so you know, let's keep on working to improve them. Yeah. But uh, but like I said, you know, those issues are in oil and gas as well. But um, they're not slapping a moratorium on oil and gas. <laughs> no, and, I didn't hear and, that. And, and, I, and I would and I would never uh, recommend that either. I don't think we. Yeah, should, no. Like you know, said. What I'm hearing you say clearly, this isn't the right approach for anything around from an energy yeah. development perspective. Mm-hmm. Slapping a moratorium on an industry is not the approach. That is. Uh, that's the wrong approach. Dealing with the issues uh, is true. I think it uh, is worthy of mm-hmm. examining. Uh, examining. I think the industry is open to you know working with the government on those sorts of things. But uh, yeah, moratorium is just a, a very extreme measure. I, I heard it. I'm so glad you brought it up because I heard it. I was thinking I was driving with my wife. I'm like, what is that all about? Like, how does that make any sense? And then I actually didn't go follow up. It just skipped into the noise of things I heard that day. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really glad you brought it up. You talk a lot about wind. You talk a lot about solar, which are talk to me a little bit about nuclear and you know small footprint modular nuclear reactors. I've been on a few calls and heard a few conversations around it. It seems like, and I had a few people say, whether this is true or not, you can you can let me know. You're my you're, you're my expert witness, by the way. So everything I will fact check against what Dan says. You know, 100 percent renewable. These net zero goals. That without looking at a solution or a component of nuclear energy, that these are not even attainable that there is a there is a need for bringing that to the table but we have such a negative kind of storyline around around nuclear and maybe for good reasons we all watched the chernobyl special on whatever whatever channel it was on and uh, you know the three mile island one what's your thoughts on uh, nuclear energy and the role it can will or maybe needs to play or not in the future of this equation yeah nuclear is um i think a lot of this has to do with uh you know the location that you're in so Mm -hmm. uh you like British Columbia, for example, they have they have uh, you know a ton of uh, hydroelectric uh, power. I grew up right? I grew up in Quebec, so you grew up learning about yeah, that Quebec. as part of history. Like it was just part of your DNA, right? Hydroelectric yeah. power. Yeah. So Quebec, you know, those places don't need uh, you know nuclear uh, nuclear power because they have an abundance of uh, you know hydropower. You, you take you take a place like Alberta, it starts to become a, a, a you know a little bit more complicated because we don't have much hydropower. Uh, most of our electricity today comes from burning fossil fuels yep. <laughs> uh, used to be coal uh, now the coal uh, looks like it's going to be offline by the end of the year now it's gas you know we have still is it just me or did that transition from coal to natural gas happen pretty quickly and pretty efficiently yeah it happened uh, it happened pretty quickly just to you give know, some props we'll give some props to the government we're throwing them out of the or industry i should say as well but it feels like that transition happened they we heard the goals they said it and now point you said it's offline by the end of this year yeah, and you know, just to be clear, I'm not looking to throw the government on, uh, under the bus on this. <laughs> well, thing. dial it back. Uh, you this know, moratorium I, 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 though is bullshit. I'm going to say it. I'll yeah, say the, it. Yeah, you didn't say it. I'll motor- say it. Yeah, no, the moratorium's <laughs> bullshit. But, uh, but, uh, but, yes. Yeah, so, 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 so anyway, so I'll, so yeah, the coal thing, the coal thing, uh, you know, went well. Uh, you know, that was really um, the, the major push for that. You know, happened to come under the uh, under the NDP, mm-hmm. but uh, but you know, the industry responded. It responded to carbon pricing and. Uh, and ended up, uh, you know, retiring coal earlier than uh, you know than we had expected, and uh, you know through through a bit of a government push to start off, and then ultimately uh, you know market forces showing that uh, you know 
the uh, market here uh, in Alberta works. But, but back to the nuclear thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to lose this so, thread. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, nuclear has a role in our energy system for sure. Uh, the problem with uh, nuclear is one: uh, very few people want it in their backyard because uh, when something goes bad, it goes really bad, as you, as you know. Yes, we uh, referenced Chernobyl and Three Mile Island. Uh, the other thing about nuclear is it's very expensive. That's the part that I think a lot of uh, people are losing. You know, nuclear power plants have a history of you know, massive cost overruns, and, uh, yeah. you know, uh, saddling consumers with, you know, with a big bill. But in Alberta, we have this unique challenge. We don't have hydro. Uh, uh, if we're going to uh, go to net zero, uh, we need to be looking at all the various uh, solutions. Uh, and ultimately, I think the lowest cost solution uh, should win. But you know, all the various solutions are, you know, renewables with storage, uh, you know, burning, uh, continue to burn fossil fuels with carbon capture, uh, you know, hydrogen, uh, nuclear, you know, uh, geothermal. You know, these are all the sorts of, you know, things that are, that are in the mix to ultimately get us to net zero. And I think uh, what I think the right approach would be is agree on an end date, when, a goal of when we're going to get there, and then let the market compete for the, for the best path. Have we not kind of agreed on when we're going to get there, or is that a is that more of just a number that's been imposed of like we're going to be net zero by? And there's a handful of dates floating around that for the average individual, I've heard 2050, I've heard 2030, I've heard 2025 for some things. I do think the media has now just thrown a bunch of numbers at us, just thinking about the everyday. And anyone I've talked to in the space so far, even on the show, has been like, "Well, I appreciate a moonshot, but most of these are not realistic timelines <laughs> based on yeah." What so we're the so the timeline that seems to have consensus with everybody, or almost everybody, is net zero by 2050. Okay, yep. You know, so the Alberta government has said that. The oil and gas industry has largely said that. Um, and uh, that, that's consistent with the national target, uh, you know, net zero across the economy by 2050. Place, uh, the first thing is 2050 is an awful long way away, 27 years from yeah. now. You know, I hope you and I are still able to have a, a podcast. Uh, we'll have, have a follow up. Twenty seven years ago, Dan and I said this. <laughs> yeah, you know, but you but know, twenty seven. I, I like setting goals out there in the future, so I'm I'm on board with that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know, twenty seven year plan. Anyways, that's uh, that's a awful long way out out yep. there. Uh, the um, it, the discussion, the the debate is over what are the interim targets. Mm. So uh, the interim target that is most hotly debated right now in Canada is a 2035 target for a net zero electricity grid. Okay. So that's just a part of our economy, right? A part of the energy system, but the electricity grid. And that's, uh, you know, that's where there's uh, this intense uh, disagreement at the moment between the feds and the province. And like I said, I'm speculating that's ultimately uh, you know, led to this moratorium. I in way of, we'll, uh, we'll, 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 we'll exercise a power where we can and we'll do this. Yeah, exactly. From your perspective, is that do you feel that that's realistic? Speaking from very practical, you've, you're building these projects. You probably are thinking and planning all, new ones. Does that feel like a number, like a finger in the wind, or does that have a little bit more substance behind it? Net zero by twenty thirty five is going to be very difficult to do, okay. and um, uh, it's going to be, I'd say, uh, near impossible to do if we continue uh, debating it for much longer. We need to get going, uh, but if we get going. Uh, and we get going quick, I believe it is possible. 
our companies, our governments, it's hard to speak to governments, so organizations that you're talking to about investing in this or developing it, are we using that as like, you know, setting, is it, is it, is it being treated like a stretch goal or is it being just treated like a number that was thrown out there by somebody who didn't know what they were throwing out there? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, uh, it should be treated like a stretch goal. Uh, I think, um, you know, the general population, uh, I'd say has very low energy literacy, which is another pro a problem in this, you know, this particular polarized issue is, uh, you know, on one side, you've got, uh, you know, folks that want to, you know, keep on producing oil and gas, um, sometimes uh, denying that climate change is, a, you know, is a real thing and, and denying that, you know, renewable energy is actually a real technology. But then on the other side, on the <laughs> renewable side, on the, or on the, envi you know, the, the environmental side, you know, there's a perception that you can just turn off the taps to oil and gas and just replace it with renewable energy tomorrow. Uh, but that's also not the case, right? This is a very complex uh, energy system, complex issue uh, with many different pieces. And uh, it's not possible to just switch from one to the other. It's a transition uh, that's going to take time. And, uh, you know, I think uh, the more energy literate uh, we can become, uh, you know, the, the better we'll be at solving the, the problem. Energy... Whose responsibility is that? And is that us as individuals, as citizens to engage and understand? Is it the government to put out more educational materials or a better ad campaign? I live in the, I'm, I'm a marketing guy. So whose, whose job is it to tell that story? Because we go through our life and we catch the headlines or we read on Facebook that gets us riled up back to our joke earlier. But like that energy literacy, like we, things get on our radar. We're all busy. Everybody's slammed. They, you know, get invested in a topic and they move on or they don't truly understand the complexity of it or maybe just the headlines that feels like that's a that's a tough that's a tough journey <laughs> to bring us all along <laughs> yeah it, you know it is uh for sure but you know i think it's ultimately the responsibility of the stakeholders who have an interest in um, energy transition and climate change and uh you know that's ultimately government that's uh, ultimately businesses um that are that are in it i think um yeah, it's important that uh, people understand, uh, you know, what the impact is of, um, you know, the activism on both sides, and yeah, uh, yes, on both and try sides. Try to find a <laughs> rational solution down the middle that's ultimately going to get us to where we need to go. Uh, but um, that seems to be wishful thinking at this moment. <laughs> you're saying are you saying that hope is not a strategy, Dan? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> hope is not a hope is not a strategy, but it's uh, it's a good state of mind. Yeah, touche. <laughs> You talked a little bit about carbon capture. Let's talk a little bit about carbon and that side of things, you know, carbon capture, carbon tax, things that are impacting us from a consumer perspective. Like, well, geez, my gas costs more, or my gas costs less. What's going on here? Thoughts from your perspective, like I hear let's develop a new way to develop energy like, like solar, like wind. And then I hear carbon capture and I'm like, hmm, are we just moving the pieces around on the chessboard? Or, you know, maybe that's just my own ignorance of not seeing that as maybe... I'm 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 puzzled sometimes at the role that that plays. Or it's just an excuse for a new tax, maybe <laughs> to oversimplify. Thought, thought, thoughts yeah. feel, inform me because I'm very I feel it misinformed and slightly uh, agitated sometimes around the carbon conversation. <laughs> yeah, so um, you know, ultimately, um, you know, uh, many of the countries around the world have signed on to climate targets. You know, so let's you know starting at the top and kind of yep. kind of building yeah, yeah. down. You starts with the climate target. You know, we want to keep uh, you know warming below you know two degrees or one and a half degrees, whatever. Like the 
that number keeps on uh, that number keeps on changing. But we want to keep keep uh, global warming below a you know a certain level. Uh, in order to do that, um, you know, all the countries that have signed on to this uh, need to reduce their emissions. And then, if you go down to Canada, Canada is uh, a very large uh, per capita emitter. Uh, the largest per capita emitter in Canada is our oil and gas sector. So that's why this industry is getting so much attention is because if in order for Canada to meet its targets, it needs to drive emissions reductions uh, out of the oil and gas sector. Carbon, so, th- so how do you do that? Um, you, you do that in a number of different ways. Uh, and um, you know, in Canada, we've chosen to do it through a carbon tax. But there's two, there's two pieces to the carbon tax. There's um, an industrial uh, carbon levy, which Alberta, actually under the, uh, the uh, aggressive conservatives, uh, was uh, you know, the pioneer in, in that in North America, imposing that. So the large emitters in our province uh, need to either reduce their emissions or they need to pay a carbon, uh, carbon penalty. That's on the industrial sector. Then there's also the carbon tax, and this is the one that's more hotly debated. That's on the retail sector, and that's uh, you know on the things that we purchase that uh, you know that have uh, emissions associated with it, uh, and that's an, intended to you know reduce consumption uh, at the at the consumer level. Uh, mm. You know, mm. uh, economists have <laughs> have looked at the most efficient way of doing it, and uh, you know, the consensus mm. seems to be that carbon tax is the most efficient way of, get, of driving that uh, reduction in emitting activities because people are starting to think about, hey, if I do this, I'm going to be paying uh, you know, a bunch, of, a bunch yeah. of money. So that's, that's the intention behind Behav- it. Behavioral change at a society level is no easy task. <laughs> it's no easy task, and uh, nobody likes uh, you know, taxes to be the 100%. It's still, be the way. you can put whatever you want in front of it. It's still a tax, ultimately. Yeah, so you know, so I, I, you know, I could see why it's unpopular. I, I you know, I understand, uh, I understand why it's why it's unpopular, but I also think we need to be addressing our uh, our climate uh, our climate issue. But um, it, you know, this is a this is a it's a it's a complicated issue because affordability is now uh, you know becoming increasingly yeah. important, right? The the thing that um, this goes again back to the energy literacy thing. You know, if we're looking for the trifecta, you know, so you look at the you know, classic triangle problem, you can have two out of the three, yep. but not all three. So you look at, uh, your, you know, reliable, affordable, and clean, right? So you compare it to the status quo. You know, we, we, we have affordable and reliable energy today, but it's not clean. If we want to move to reliable and clean, it's going to have an impact on affordability. That is, uh, you know, simply the reality of the situation, and uh, I think it's uh, you know government has a role in uh, you know lessening that burden on those that uh, you know can't afford it. Has the recent shifts in the economy, and I'm speaking just you know cost of living, inflation. Like I heard um, it was a couple of years ago, I was listening to CBC or something. They had somebody on talking about it was Ontario specifically, where in some of the polling they'd done, the average citizen's concern around the environment had drop significantly because affordability and their ability to put a roof over their head, have access to you know, heat, water, uh, lights 
and food was far taking over there all of a sudden back to your point of like geez i can't put food on my table i'm not really too worried about the the environment right now i need to get back to affording to be able to buy groceries has has that hurt our journey or and and, and it's all we're talking about a 50-year journey but we're talking in short-term bites here it feels like in the shorter term that has certainly become more of the topic at the the dinner table just to use that one Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, coming out of COVID, right? Um, you know, we uh, had a world that was, you know, disrupted by you know, supply chain disruptions, right? Mm. And then, uh, you know, shortly after that, the war in Ukraine, you know, with Russia invading uh, Ukraine, uh, you know, uh, you know, putting energy security at the forefront and further disrupting uh, supply chains. So yeah, we've got we've got a lot of uh, issues uh, that we need to deal with uh, in the world. Uh, I think um, you know the, the, these these things have definitely changed the conversation. I've noticed the conversation okay. uh, yeah. having changed. That's not just a feeling that that is. Uh, we go through these big, like big and small cycles, right? As as a, as a society, as businesses. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, you know what we what we need to what we need to do is we need to find the um, you know the solutions that are also the most affordable they can be, because ultimately, if we don't address the, the the climate change issue, we're going to have much greater costs that we're going to have to deal with in terms of mitigating uh, climate impact. So, you know, uh, we, we can't hide from it. We, you know, if we do nothing and we just focus on the lowest cost solutions and continue doing what we're doing, we're in for a much bigger problem uh, in the not too distant Sooner or later, the so, graph inverts on. I've got someone coming yeah. on in September and she is a researcher specifically in this space and her whole thesis, her whole world is what dollars can we spend today? that'll help mitigate the impact of climate change in the future, not talking anything about reducing greenhouse gas emissions, just the path that we're on already. And hers was floods, fires, and extreme heat events. And some of the numbers and the financial and the, and the, and the, the impact on life that she shared with me in a quick 10-minute pre-podcast phone call, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to the episode, but also a little bit afraid of some of the numbers that she's going to throw out of like, if we're on this trend by 2050, this city will have this many more days over 30, which will lead directly to this many deaths. And if we don't mitigate that now with better HVAC systems, more of our population will die. And then literally the path we're on is where it's going to go. They weren't, they weren't um, uh, inspiring statistics <laughs> that she was sharing with me. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's very concerning, right? Um, I, uh, I, I sympathize with, uh, I'm, I'm, all the citizens of humanity. Yes, you know, we, we, we unfortunately are all on it. We're on this big ball of dirt together, right? <laughs> yeah, we are. We are. We're all. Uh, we're all having to deal with this together. Uh, we, you know, we need to deal with the practical day-to-day realities of putting food on the table today. But uh, if we don't do something on this today, uh, we're going to have, you know, potentially bigger issues, uh, much bigger issues down the road. Uh, so. Uh, let's all work together to find a path forward. Here. This is a little bit of the climate piggy bank, right? And I've read some statistics on why people are like notoriously bad at saving for the future because they just don't think that way. They think about what's in front of them now. That ability to future pace, whether, you know, why would I save 50% of my dollar today when I can just spend it and have fun now and save for that future? Climate is, it feels very similar to that. <laughs> we're, we're taking dollars out of the bank right now. <laughs> yeah. It, if I'm putting you on the spot here, so feel free to decline or not. Reliable, clean, affordable. If you were going to put a couple in the middle of that triangle that are the best suited to support all three, and I'm not going to say perfect because there is no perfect, like you said, there's always a compromise. Which ones would you put? You know, and is it is it the usual suspects? Is it is it solar? Is it wind? Or you mentioned hydrogen. You like there's a few other players in there. Anything you would put in the middle of that triangle that would you know do strike the best balance? Not perfect. 
no, maybe no such thing. Well, you know, at the, at the moment, renewable energy is, um, is uh, the lowest, not only the lowest cost source of energy uh, that we have that's clean, it's the lowest cost source of energy we have, period. Mm. You know, that's, that's according to the International okay. Energy Agency, right? They just declared solar the lowest cost source of energy that humanity's ever, ever seen. The challenge with uh, renewable energy, though, is wind only produces when the wind blows, solar produces Back when the, the sunshine. Clean, affordable, but now reliable is the one we need to solve. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the way you do that with renewables is uh, through a lot more energy storage. Um, you know, so battery storage, uh, long-duration energy storage technologies in addition to that. You know, that's renewables with that and uh, you know, electrification across the economy. That seems to be, uh, you know, the consensus, the you know, lowest cost uh, approach for us to achieve that trifecta of reliable, affordable, and clean. Um, but, um, you know, when you have these setbacks and these, you know, these uh, debates, you know, these setbacks of policy, like yeah. we talked about, right, it, uh, it takes our eye off what we really need to be doing, which is working on the solutions uh, to these to these problems and not uh, not fighting about whether or not it's it's worthwhile pursuing in the first place is it, it absolutely is worth pursuing. do we do we do you see us going down a road of maybe you know there's the state the state will take care of me mindset versus i know some individuals of mine they tend to be a little higher on the socioeconomic uh, chain of events and they've got battery packs in their own houses and they're thinking about how now they make it maybe could help support their neighbor's power needs while supporting their own is there a future where we see a little bit more of the people that can, and I know this is maybe speaking now in a hierarchy of our society of who can afford it, who can't, where we start to take responsibility for our own literally energy, like the reliability piece? Yeah, I mean, I think we need, uh, you know, it's an, it's an all of the above solution. It seems to be that we're in a uh, relative energy uh, deficit in the, uh, in the world. We, we don't have enough energy to, to support, uh, you know, the growth that we're seeing in the world. <laughs> We're not turning the lights off. On, we're not turning the lights off more, or, or driving less. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we're you know having more uh, more back babies. Back, yeah, and we're, we're notorious. We notoriously have big appetites. Back to our earlier joke. Yeah, exa- exactly. So um, yeah, if you uh, if you have a big appetite like uh, humanity does, we need uh, all forms of energy. So I think you know these you know um, larger projects like you know my company is traditionally focused on but uh, you know on people's rooftops uh, at, at their houses yeah, yeah. at their buildings you know i think i think we need all of it and uh, that's yeah. that's going to get us to where where we are but with uh, you know with an eye on doing it more sustainably that's the, that's the i love it back to the triangle though it always comes down in our world is you can have a good you can have it fast that you can have it cheap but you can't have all three <laughs> exactly. that's that's the old joke and i think every industry has its version of what's your what's your three pillars yeah. on your triangle Dan, I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate it. I think we could just keep going on and on. I could keep putting you on the hot seat. Of like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? But I really appreciate the, the overall picture you, you shared and, and how long you've been, been in this space. And I'm still sensing, though, there's a high degree of optimism for you. I'm not sensing that you're, you're, it hasn't worn you out. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, uh, I definitely, um, you know, I'm, I feel very fortunate to have been able to, uh, you know, had a career, you know, continuing in uh, industry that I'm really passionate about and something that I feel is uh, aligned with my purpose. But uh, it hasn't been easy. It's been way harder than I could ever have imagined. Uh, and uh, That's you know, why I'm passion is so wearing... critical, because if you don't have it, the, the, the lift is too big. <laughs> yeah, 
right, so I'm wearing some of my scars, but uh, yeah, I'm still I'm still standing and I'm still smiling. So uh, life's good. I, pre- I appreciate that. If someone wants to learn more, let's uh, you know do, do the mandatory uh, greengatepower.com. You got a great website. You got a lot of information on there. Uh, any cool projects that are like on like that are imminent that you're working on that actually get you excited about? We'll circle out of the maybe the doom and gloom and the reality of trying to solve this problem. But what what are, what's getting you excited about in your business right now? Well, you know, I'm uh, really excited about um, the Traverse Solar Project, which is uh, the you know, largest solar project in Canada that I, I mentioned before. We were the developers of it, uh, and it was uh, completed uh, at the end of last year. It's uh, now supplying you know a ton of energy, uh, mm. you know, clean energy, into the Alberta grid, and I think is uh, you know, showing people you know what's possible in Alberta. Uh, and uh, hopefully when this uh, moratorium passes or gets lifted, uh, we, you know, we can get back to growth and renewable energy. I am a big advocate of there's nowhere better. We, we got energy. Like, that's our thing. Let's, let's be inclusive, not, not divisive around that topic. This doesn't make any sense to me. We've got, we've got all the smart people. And like you said, we have wind. We have solar. We have our, our, our fossil fuels space that's been through all this in its own cycles, right, just many years ago. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, we're better. I'm very. This is a very pro Alberta podcast. We're certainly pro. Yeah, I, I'm certainly my my audience. My audience knows that. But I'm like, man, why? Why, why can't we be the best? We're the most qualified, I believe. <laughs> Alberta's a cool province for sure. It is. I'm a I'm a raving fan. Uh, what's the best way? Do you have a preferred channel? There's a million ways to get a hold of all of us. Uh, are you a LinkedIn guy? Does it send me an email? What's your preferred? Yeah, uh, on LinkedIn, uh, okay. Dan Balaban on LinkedIn, and then uh, also on uh, X formerly known as Twitter. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dan underscore Balaban. Okay, fantastic. You, you haven't jumped ship. You're staying loyal. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, still, uh, I'm still on there. I'll see how it unfolds. Yes, I think we're all sitting back watching the train wreck move on and off the tracks. <laughs> Dan, yeah. I really appreciate the time today. Thanks for your insights. Thanks for being willing to answer the questions and kind of share some of what I know are just your own views. But 16 years in the space, uh, I was looking forward because I knew you'd probably have a few opinions on a few things. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for uh, inviting me and thanks for all the thoughtful questions and good discussion. My pleasure. Thank you, sir.